You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. Again, friends, it is a joy to be with you this morning, both those of you who are physically present with us in the space and those who've gathered with us digitally. If you're guests with us this morning, we went ahead and suspended in-person worship in the month of January because of Omicron and the way that impacted the Atlanta area, but we feel comfortable to be back in the space together, and I have to say that it is good to be with you all this morning in this capacity. Well, this morning our reading comes from the Holy Gospel according to Luke, and if you grew up in church and maybe went to Sunday school as a kid growing up, you've probably heard this story one, one form or another of it, but this morning we're going to hear Luke's version of this account, so friends, For those in the space, as you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. For those of you who are digitally gathered with us, I invite you to embrace a posture that allows you to hear the words of ancient Scripture and to receive from God. According to Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, And the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Jesus saw two boats on the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. So Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked Simon to put out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night and we have caught nothing. Yeah, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were actually beginning to break, and they had to signal to their partners to come and bring the other boat to help them. And then they came and they filled both boats so that the boats were sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Away from me, Lord, for, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they brought their nets, when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts in this time, in this this sacred space of worship. And God, as I preach, I ask that these words that I have prepared might 
be your word for your people in this time. God, please speak through them and we're necessary in spite of me. All of this we pray in the name of the Christ. And everyone said, amen. Friends, please be seated. I don't know if any of y'all have been in this situation where you have come to something of a completion of a long and tedious process. For some reason, painting comes to mind for me, and I've just you know, finished cleaning out all my brushes. I've been painting for days or something like that. And not just cleaning them out right, where you put them in, either put them in mineral spirits if it's oil-based, or you put them in water if they're acrylic, but... So not like the overnight kind of cleaning the brushes, but like you clean the brushes, right? Like they're good to put in in storage until next time you need to paint. And then Jesus comes along and says, oh, can you guys paint another room for me real quick? And you're like, Jesus, I just cleaned the brushes. story this morning brings to mind this sense of the command after the command, the ask beyond, the moment where you have finally come to the edge and then you were asked to go further. Well, Luke, in, in, in the text, he, he essentially is painting this picture in the beginning of chapter five where the word is spread so fast about Jesus that Jesus finds himself, he, he was in Capernaum and he's moved a little to the east around the edge of the Sea of Galilee and found himself down at this little town of Gennesaret. And he, he actually went there to escape the massive crowds that had found out about him in Capernaum. But apparently they, they quickly found out where he had gone. And Luke paints this picture that literally the crowds are pushing up against him to the point where he's about to, to back into the water behind him. And Jesus seemingly thinking fast, notices that there's a couple empty fishing vessels. He can see that the the fishermen are over there cleaning their nets, and he notices that one of the boats belongs to someone he knows, Simon. So without asking permission, Jesus goes ahead and gets in the boat because he seems to be in something of a desperate situation. And then after the fact, seems to get permission from Simon that it was okay for him to preach the remainder of his message from the boat because the people are going to drown me. So, that's how the story begins, but it doesn't end there, though it could end there in another world or another set of scenarios and outcomes, but that's not where the story ends. Instead, now that Simon has obliged Jesus and allowed him to utilize his, his boat as essentially what I have up here, a platform by which to preach on. At that point, Jesus then asks Simon to do what but to put out into deep water, let down your nets for a catch. To which Simon answers, Master, we have worked all night and have caught nothing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. I've thought a lot about these two sentences, this little section here this week as we've come upon this morning. And it occurs to me that I think there's a lot of human experience that are packed into this tight little bundle that Luke gives us. And I wonder if 
some of the more colorful conversation that maybe went back and forth between Jesus and Simon kind of got edited out, you know, like when Luke sat down with either his human source or the, the story in the form that it was in and he received it, if it wasn't the case that it got cleaned up and tightened and, and some of Peter's, not Peter yet, but too soon to be Peter, Simon's response to Jesus maybe didn't entirely get preserved. I wonder if there wasn't a little bit of back and forth, which is, could explain why Peter is so apologetic at the end of the text that he falls down at Jesus' feet. But regardless, we're told that Simon's first deed of hosting Jesus, the preacher, was not the end of the scene. But his, his first movement of obedience to the Messiah then gives way to a second opportunity for obedience. But they're very different because the first one simply was, was Simon just letting Jesus step onto the boat and preach from there. It didn't cost Simon anything. Simon was cleaning his nets. There's Jesus preaching. The second ask from Jesus is very different and it asks a lot of Simon because we're told that as Jesus is preaching, as all of this is transpiring, they're cleaning their nets, they're done. They've been out all night. And not only, have they not, not only have they been out all night, it's been a remarkably frustrating experience. We're told that they didn't even catch a single fish, not one. So they're not just tired from a good day's work, they're tired and they're frustrated. And maybe depending on where the different people are financially, the different sailors, fisher, men, maybe some of them were, were needing a catch to be able to go home and put food on the table that day. Maybe this meant they weren't going to have dinner. I don't know. This is the scenario, though, in which we find Jesus asking Simon to do another thing. I think we've all found ourselves in similar situations, probably in different work environments or as students or fill in the blank where We've invested a lot of time and effort into something, time and effort that we thought was going to translate into something productive and helpful. And then by the time we get to the end of the day, we've not made any progress at all and it's just been spinning our wheels. Yes, we've been working and yes, we're tired and we also have nothing to show for it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Not the only one. It's a very human experience and it's super frustrating. And actually recently heard the, the modern psychology even supports the idea that for us to get real satisfaction from our work, it's incredibly hard if we stop at like 90% of a task and then cut for the day. You actually, the, the satisfaction ends up kind of getting credited to hopefully the next day when you do the last 10%. So you go home having done 90% of the work, but feeling none of the positive psychological experience that you would have gotten had you just stayed and completed the task. Oftentimes, satisfaction is dependent on not just working hard, but working hard in such a way that it accomplishes something and completes a thing. 
We love humans. We love the, the feeling of satisfaction, the feeling of a job well done, the feeling of something being completed. It's one of my favorite feelings, actually, in life, I think. It doesn't even matter if it's like trimming a bush or mowing the lawn. It can be something super simple, but I like seeing it done. Not half done, needing to come back to it. Now, having kids, I can't tell you how many times there were things that I thought were done that they undid. <laughs> they break everything. But that's a different thing. That's a different frustration. But our friend Simon in our text this morning, we come to him and he is tired and he is frustrated and he might be going home hungry. And he knows this. And he probably just wants to cut for the day, let his people go and sleep. When Jesus, this presumably carpenter, who's now turned healer and preacher, turns to him and has the, I don't know what the word is, the arrogance to tell Peter how to fish, right? It's the other thing about being human. We love nothing more than somebody who doesn't do our job telling us how to do our job better, right? <laughs> That's the best. Simon's got to be like, really, Jesus? What do, you, what do you know about fishing? But he goes, he does it. He is obedient. And, and this is prior to them having entered into the rabbinic student relationship, which is really interesting to me. And I did a little bit of, of looking through, through Luke's gospel to get a more, bit more context. And it, it, it does make a little more sense if you read through chapter four and you see that at the end of chapter four, Jesus was preaching in one of the synagogues. And at the end of that, seemingly Simon invites Jesus over for a meal. And when they arrive at the house, Simon's mother-in-law is bedridden. She's really sick with what they say is a high fever, a really high fever, which in that time and culture and world could kill you. And we're told that Jesus heals her and she immediately gets up and then prepares and serves the meal. So it's almost as though Simon may have some sense of, of gratitude to Jesus, a sense of of reciprocity, right? Wanting to, to offer back because Jesus did something so profound for him and for his family. So he's willing to, to allow Jesus to use his bow as a pulpit. But then Jesus asks the next thing and, and I wonder if, if Simon was like, oh man, really? Do I always have to say yes to this guy for the rest of my life? <laughs> But he does it. And what does he do? And what does Jesus ask but that they, that they row out to deep water? They row out to deep water. And the, the Sea of Galilee, I think I read that it gets it, at its deepest point, 140 feet, which is pretty deep for a lake, for a sea. It's not a huge sea. But if you know much about fishing, you know that deep water is oftentimes more challenging because there's more like square footage to cover. So if you don't really know where you're at with deep water, it can be kind of a crapshoot. 
when you're, when you're out in that kind of water and you're fishing, and I don't know anything about fishing with nets, so this is just fishing with a fishing pole. But, but the shallows are, are a little more telling. You can have a better sense of what's happening in the shallows, and this is fresh water, and a lot of these, these fish, it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to, sco to school up at the shallows. But when you get into the deep, you get into these vast amounts of space, which means that Jesus is asking them to do something that might sound kind of dumb. It might sound like, really? Why are we doing this? And I can't imagine the exhausted crew being excited about it with nets that were freshly cleaned. But Simon does it, whether it's out of obligation, because Jesus healed his mother-in-law, whether it's out of his just sheer amazement at the, the ministry and the person of, of, of who Jesus is, Simon does it, and they go out, and we're told that they catch so many fish that their nets begin to break. And as that's happening, I love this, they signal to their partners. And I don't even know what that would look like if the partners are still up at the shore and they're way out at the deep. I mean, they don't have you know, walkie-talkies back then or cell phones, so somebody's got to be like shooting a, f I mean, I don't know, they don't flares either. So lighting something on fire, probably, trying to get their attention, shouting, I don't know. And the other boat comes out, and we're told that even with the other boat, both boats begin to sink. Now, is that hyperbole a little bit? Possibly, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The point is, they caught more fish than they knew what to do with. And... It's a pretty remarkable story. And there's a lot that I think is interesting about it and fascinating, not least of which is the fact that it's, it's sort of centered around Simon, who will, will be named Peter in, in coming, coming stories. And as Peter, Jesus will later tell him that he's going to, to build, build the church on the back of Peter's work. We're here in some sense on the, the shoulders of, of the work that Peter and the other disciples did 2,000 years ago. And, and it just makes you wonder, what if, what if Peter that day was just in a really, really bad mood and just said, no, not today. I am not doing that. I'm going home. I am going to do whatever the first century equivalent of a bath is or a shower and whatever the first century equivalent of binging my favorite show on the Flintstones network. I don't know. Y'all know what, who the Flintstones are, like the younger people? Yeah, okay. I don't know, but, but he doesn't. And I think that's fascinating to think about. What if he said no? What if he, what if he got got into the denial thing a little early and just said, no, I don't want to do that. How would the story have turned? How would it have played out differently? How would have Simon's life been so different? I think one of the reasons that Luke includes the story is because it's, not only is it the, the, the first telling of Jesus gathering disciples in, in Luke's gospel, but I think there's something in this text that Luke believed would, would be sort of timeless for us. 
And that's the, the, I think there's this pattern that we encounter in this story between, between God and humanity. You know, we, we come to worship or we have some encounter with God and God grasps our heart and we turn and have this experience. And then we sense God asking something of us and we maybe are obedient to that asking and then we feel good about ourselves because we were obedient to the thing God asked us to do. And then we realized that God was just getting warmed up. And the, the next thing that God asks us to do is the kind of thing that maybe we don't want to do, that we shrink back from, that we say, maybe that's not really what God was saying. Maybe Jesus didn't really say, go out into the deep water and cast our clean nets. We talk ourselves out of what it is that we sense the divine is, is moving in us to do and to, to live into because it's, it's weird or it's hard or we just don't feel like it or we're tired or we're frustrated. But I think this text shows us and is meant to inspire and move us to be at least open to saying yes to the deep water because we don't know what might be on the other side of that yes. I think sometimes as modern Christians, we haven't always been, been taught well that the pattern is kind of God's not, not going to ask us sort of a one time to do and to sync up with God's will, but it's, it's a lifelong endeavor of a disciple. We don't have like a season where we engage with the will of God and then we're done but it's this ongoing reality that we interact with the entirety of our lives. And sometimes it looks this way and sometimes it looks that way, but it, it, it can often and commonly seem really challenging. And sometimes it's, it's going to seem like, I don't want to do that on the front end, but then on the other end, as you look back on it, you couldn't have imagined not participating in that work of the will and the, the kingdom of God. We've all had those days, those mornings, even something as simple as coming to church where we didn't feel like it, but we went and we, on the other side of it, we're so glad that we did. What is God moving in us to do in our lives that we're just pushing back on because we're tired, we're frustrated, or it just seems silly, or it seems like that can't be for me to do that, whatever it may be. What does God know about fishing anyway? But they go into the deep water, and I wonder, like, what is that, what does this, this phrase of, of deep water look like for us in this weird season of hopefully coming out of COVID and reorienting with life in the world. Some of you, probably all of us to some extent or another are a little tired and a little frustrated. That's pretty common, I think. But maybe some of you in particular feel that with your job right now or your stage of life or in a particular relationship that you're in, you feel this sense of tired and frustrated. And what does the, the, the idea of deep water look like for you in that? I think, I think one way you can read Peter's text is that Jesus, before Jesus 
calls and leads him to become a disciple, he, he actually asks him to do another thing within his profession. So he doesn't go way out of the, the, the way, but he says, all right, do this thing within your framework, which I think is interesting. And I think sometimes that's where God is at work in our lives. God's like, I'm not asking you to like move to Zimbabwe. I'm asking you to like look at the deep water in front of you, wherever you're at, and like do a thing and be open to living into something here now in that frustrating relationship, in that frustrating workplace, in that frustrating venture or whatever it may be. Are you willing to apply this metaphor of, of deep water and, and sink down deeper into where you are and in that sinking down deeper, sort of reevaluate, is this a God's calling me to do the last thing and then there's something else? Or is this text for you a, no, I need to go deeper and see what I'm not seeing and be open to what I've not been open to and to allow God to, to sort of open my mind and my heart to, to, to encounter this in a different way. I need to go deeper. I don't need to, to necessarily be done with whatever reality it is. And for some people, it, it probably very much so could be that God is using a story like this, a text like this to say, yeah, push out into to deep water and do your last thing in that situation and do it well in a way that you feel good about it and you feel proud of your work or you do what you can do. And then maybe God does have something radically life altering or maybe not even radically life altering. Maybe it's just the next right thing and it's not that thing anymore. And that's okay. Maybe it's just a shift. And maybe there's fear of fear of the, the unknown, even though the known is miserable. Because sometimes we're more apt to stick with what's known than to go to what is unknown. Because the unknown is scary, even though you're tired and you're frustrated and you feel like you're banging your head against the wall with wherever you may be. What does deep water look like for you? What does different waters look like for you? Maybe you've been sort of living into the conventional in your life. You've been fishing the shorelines because that's what people do. And maybe it's time just to try something different because that's what God's inviting you to do. Some of us need to dig down deeper and to see things in a new way. Some of us need to allow God to help us finish well. Some of us just need to take some time and live with this metaphor and pray through it and meditate on it and ask like, am I living a, a shallow waters kind of existence? Am I sort of just skimming the top of life? Or am I, regardless of where I'm at, am I sinking down deeply and taking every day seriously and seeing the, the, the richness of, of being and of, of even if I may be unhappy in this scenario, can I still live in deep waters as a human regardless of what scenario I may find myself in? 
I think all of us can spend some time with that sort of daily vision and view of, of a deep waters kind of life. So I invite you, friends, to, to not just let this go and let it kind of slip out of your consciousness when you walk out of these doors, but to write it down and spend time with, with this as, as a centering peace in your hearts and in your minds and your lives as you, as you meditate or as you journal or as you pray. Reflect on, on Simon, who would become Peter, and the idea of deeper waters and God moving and never leaving us static, but always inviting us to do the next right thing. Maybe so, friends, in the name of God, the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer, and everyone said, amen. Well, I now invite Dave up to lead us in the prayers of the people. Friends, good morning. Um, my name is Dave Logeman, and uh, this morning I'll be leading us through a time of communal prayer and confession. Um, Tim, your uh, message uh, was really timely for me this morning. Um, as I was listening to you talk, I um, uh, felt a lot of sympathy and a connection uh, to where Simon uh, was in the story, uh, a feeling of, of weariness, um, a question about the futility uh, or the possibility of work, um, the absurdity of God's ask. Um, I was thinking, I kind of wrote my prayer this morning, uh, I think from that, that perspective. Uh, and so I wonder if maybe some of what I'll say in the next few moments uh, are the questions or the sort of inner thoughts uh, that Simon has uh, before he says yes to throwing his nets out uh, one more time. So um, I didn't talk to Tim about this. I didn't know this was what he was going to be preaching about, but uh, I feel a lot of kind of connection to that. So um, in the spirit of a new year and with a sense that some things need to be shaken up uh, for me personally, uh, my prayer will be a little bit different today. Uh, so often in my personal life, my prayers sound like simple statements of fact, if I'm being honest, they're just a series of self-assurances that are uttered in God's presence, but only occasionally directed at God. I recite certain words because the Bible tells me so. And yet this season for me is one of questioning, of uncertainty, of unrootedness, and of a kind of suppressed anxiety, which so often accompanies what is unknown and uncontrollable. In this season, I'm honestly a little less clear about who God is and where God is calling. It feels a little absurd. I wonder too if some of what I'm feeling is also shared by others, if any of you or if this church or if our city or if our world feels the same way. I can't be sure, but I do see and sense and feel that perhaps that's true. So in a desire to resist the performative and the perfunctory with a hope to speak authentically, even if it's a little messy, my prayer this morning will be organized not as statements, but as a simple series of questions. 
I offer them not only for myself, but on behalf of this community who seeks every day to embody the good news of Jesus, whatever that is. As we pray, I want to also humbly ask you to make a slight alteration to your spoken response. When you hear the phrase, Lord, in your mercy, instead of responding with the typical hear our prayer, I invite you to instead say, answer our unknowing. Let's pray together, friends. God, what is it that calls us to this place? Why the church? With all of its politics, with its inward focus, with its seemingly endless debates about who is worthy of your love and what conditions you put on your grace, are you sure this is still the avenue through which you want to make yourself known to the world? Is she still your bride? Can we still find you here? Lord, in your mercy, answer our unknowing. God, who do you want us to be? Upon what foundation should our identities be constructed? Which rules actually matter? Do any of them matter other than the one about loving you and our neighbor? Our world likes to divide us up and to place labels, to build cages, to hold some folks captive and walls to keep others out, to demand a purity and a perfect allegiance to what we cannot understand. But God, the few times that I've caught glimpses of you, it's always been through a surprise. It feels like you delight in sneaking up on us. So how do we stay open and stay rooted at the same time? How do we embody our belief? How do we inhabit our doubt? Lord, in your mercy, answer our unknowing. God, what is it that you would have us do? For me, perhaps for many of us, this feels like a season of simply treading water, of survival, of making it through another day and another and another and another and another. And the truth is we are learning that this treading of water requires as much energy, is as utterly exhausting as swimming itself. So where would you have us go? Right now, in this very moment, today, not in some undefined time in the future when we're properly credentialed or comfortably settled or have little at stake, but right now, which direction should we swim? God, will you give us good work for this day? Will you equip our hands for it? Lord, in your mercy, answer our unknowing. God, how exactly does your grace work? How does it atone for what is fixed and settled in the past? How does it cover the things that we cannot see ahead? Why is it so difficult for us to extend grace to one another, to trust and to see that the love you freely give us despite our undeserving also covers others who are undeserving? God, what does grace demand of us? What does grace empower us to do? What actually happens when we confess our shortcomings, 
when we name our fears and our doubts in your presence. Lord, in your mercy, answer our unknowing. And hear us now as we practice this thing that we do not fully understand. Amen. Siblings, there is so much about God's good news that just doesn't compute. But it's in the midst of our doubt and our unknowing that Christ meets us. What a strange and unexpected proof of God's love. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Well, friends, I invite you to stand for the benediction. And just a reminder, if you've not had a chance yet to check in, there's a QR code that you can scan with your smart device and it will quickly take you to the check-in form, which is a contactless way for us to know you are here. And that's especially important for our digital friends to let us know. And we, we really do want to, to, to know that you're out there so we can be praying for you and connecting with you. Well, siblings, in Christ, I now invite you to, to go out into the world and to do so as a people who take every day, every moment as this opportunity to sink deeply into the, the water of life and the reality that God has made you for this time. And just like Simon had something he was being called to do, each and every one of you are here for a reason. May you pay attention, may you ask questions, and may you be who God is leading you to be and to become now and into this week. Amen? All right, friends, go in peace. So good to be with you. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.